Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by our good friend, Melissa Kynock. Much of the world was introduced to Melissa through a TV show she did in the UK. Which followed the birth of four different parents. And the one thing that we were drawn to was Melissa's optimism and attitude towards the diagnosis of Down syndrome that she received for her son, Bertie. And this was such a evidence of change and evolution of this journey because it wasn't what we had experienced when we received our diagnosis with Liam from the doctors. And we've had so many conversations knowing that the diagnosis isn't always given to us with hope or possibility. And that definitely takes its toll and plants seeds at the foundation of our journey and our child's journey. So meeting Melissa and hearing her story really opened our eyes to the possibility and the change for our community that is out there. I love our conversations because we talk about the real stuff. We talk about the stresses. We talk about the real journey, the exterior pressures or misperceptions. And I love that our conversations are always real and always a great experience at the end of them. I'm more hopeful than I was going into them. We briefly talk about a couple of organizations, Wouldn't Change a Thing, and Ups and Downs, and also the preschool that Bertie's going to, Bookworms. And you can find links to those organizations in the show notes. So let's welcome Melissa Kynock. Good morning, Melissa. It's so good to see your face. Well, you both look amazing for 8 a.m., I have to say. (laughs) I love these new filters that they have (laughs) between you and I. What is this room that you're in? This is great. This is amazing. This is just my dining room. That's like my wall of inspirational sayings. And then we've got the the kitchen in there. I love this. Yeah, those posters are fantastic. Thank you. I bought those when I lived in South Africa and I brought them back with me. Oh, I love that. How are you? Yeah, it's been over over a year. I was Has thinking it? it was around Christmas time because I remember it? your oh, beautiful yeah. Christmas tree. Yeah, I um, I was just saying to Richard, I'm sure it was um, Christmas the last time. So the, the lighting in my living room is not great. And by, by the end of it, I was just literally sat in, in, dark. in the dark. Just a little voice coming from. I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Really great. I think, uh, you know, for us, we've talked a lot on the podcast about Liam adjusting to uh, a new school. And that's been just, it's been such a weight off of us. It's something that is the reason we started the podcast really was about education. And to just find some light in that has really transformed us. Only, and he's a teenager now, right? So Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, that is so good because I think um, now with Bertie, this is... I'm on the precipice of that now. Yes. I mean, his pre-education has started, preschool has started. So I'm very much in the loop of that. 
Um, so like now when I, anybody wants to talk about education and um, a child with Down syndrome, I'm, I'm definitely all ears now because that's that's where we're at, which is really exciting. But I feel like you've always had an inclusive environment around you. I feel like part of it was your mindset. You have, you've always had a very clear mindset on the equality and value of your child, which I think gets skipped in our community because as soon as we get a diagnosis, all the exterior opinions and, and inaccurate thoughts come our way and start to fill us with negativity and heavy, heavy, heavy thoughts and ideas that aren't real. Right, like, like which most fears really aren't based in in reality, in reality. Mm-hmm. and that's been one thing that I've always enjoyed watching because because of that attitude, it's carved and changed the path that you're on. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of that attitude, as we we spoke lots of times now, haven't we? And I I think if you'd have met me um, before I was part of this twelve step fellowship, as you know, you, you guys know I'm part of a twelve step fellowship for my um, substance misuse issues years and years ago. That's what's really um, surrounded me with people who it's all about inclusivity unity being open-minded and so those are the messages that I get on a daily basis because that's who I surround myself with so that leap with Bertie there was no leap we were just there anyway so I've been very much a program to be like that I, I guess that was to a certain extent there in me anyway because it it just fits like a glove but I as you guys know had other issues that kind of got in the way of who I was meant to be. Yeah, so that inclusivity, is, it's just broad strokes in, in my life, really, with who's in it. So I'm yeah, just very lucky because that's who Bertie's surrounded with too. You know, we should probably readdress how we were even connected to you. You know, it was we saw, uh, or I, I saw something on the BBC. It was a program that featured you for one of their episodes or part of their episode, following people in, a hospital during pregnancies and deliveries. Could you just shine a light on that again, just real quick, so we can kind of recap? There's a BBC One series called Life and Life and Birth, set in four different hospitals in Birmingham in the, in the UK, and they featured a number of families, their journey uh, up until giving birth, and we were one of the families that was um, chosen to be featured. We're in episode four. I don't know the viewing figures for that episode, but the montage that they did for their Facebook page, the last time I looked, it was over 15 million views. So I think it kind of went viral quite quickly. So it was at the time just me and Bertie, who has Down syndrome, and my eldest son, Day. My mum was featured a bit as well. And I think... The reason they found our story so appealing and why it sort of resonated with people was because I was just so excited about having Bertie and I just didn't see, I just didn't see him having Down syndrome as an an issue. I was just really, really excited to be having a baby and I thought that that was quite normal and that everybody else was like that. But as it turns out, I, (laughs) I think it was so well liked because people found that quite refreshing and not necessarily the norm Uh, and that's how we connected yeah when you talk about it not being the norm 
I don't know if this community is allowed that feeling. Do you know, because of, like I said, you get bombarded from diagnosis, you get bombarded before the diagnosis. I mean, with our daughter, we were bombarded with, you better do something while you have the time and just language that robs us of that experience. And watching you, it was something that Stephen and I really um, dug in to try to make our experience. But you know, like in the hospital, we had the geneticist after he was born say you could have done something which is like, I don't even know why you would say a sentence like that. I mean, it's just horrific. And seeing you have that experience, it was that possibility. We may feel a certain way, like we do about both of our children. But when the exterior messages coming at us are so pointed, sometimes we doubt. We doubt our right to those feelings and beliefs about our children. And so I was just so happy that this message and this story was out there so people could start to see that, yeah, people can tell you whatever they want about you, but you get to determine how you react. You get to determine how you feel. And I really don't think that this community remembers that or feels that right. You know, what's been so nice about um, our journey with that is I've had messages from moms who have had a diagnosis a long time after we were featured. I mean, this is a, a couple of years ago now. And they remembered watching me, watching us on BBC. And then they um, got pregnant, had their babies, got the diagnosis. And it's that's just been sort of there in their mind that there's another way that they could feel about this. There's another perspective to have. And I mean, there's, there was... A rare, um, unpleasant comment on the Facebook um, thread for the BBC, but which didn't really <laughs> made me laugh. Doesn't bother me. But those unpleasant ones, when you get comments, when I receive messages like that, it's all worthwhile. Then, isn't it? You know, because there is a different perspective uh, to be to be had because everything else is just really outdated. And and I think the the really strong message that I like to give. I'm not articulate, so I apologise. I'm not going to be articulate enough to like express this, but I think there is a tendency in um, the Down syndrome community to say, you know, it's not like it was. Our children can do more. They can. It's possible that they can have relationships and work. And what I say is, you know, it doesn't like it's your child. Like if Bertie never works. If he never talks, you know, if he never walks, it it's my child and I'm going to love him passionately, like regardless. And I like to give like that message instead. It's my, he's my child. I was, I'm going to love him the same way that I love Dai uh, if he never left the house, you know. So that's, that's the message that I like to give. And the feedback that I've had from that from other parents has just been really, really, really rewarding. We're still at the phase of advocacy and changing the message that we're at that part where we're having to justify and we're having to change the message. So what I, I my goal is for inclusion is that you don't have to. Why do I don't even have to tell you what I think my son will do or what my son will do because nobody knows. But because that message has been so um, 
just pound in everywhere we go. And especially in the com- outside of our community, that's the message. Beginnings are always so awkward and, you know, not necessarily pretty, like when a, a little calf is born and they're like, oh, <laughs> on their legs. And I feel like that's the part where we're feeling like we have a voice and we can change the message. And I do believe that, which you've obviously already have, is that perspective of inclusion means I don't have to justify my existence. I don't have to justify my child's existence. I don't know what either of them are going to do. Yeah, Bertie's worth is not dependent on what he can do, how much he can do. He's, that's just not what where his worth comes from. His worth is he's a human being, full stop. Yes, yeah. but that's life too. I think that message, as far as everyone being alive and humanity, I think that message needs to be in every community. Some of the way we value life it definitely needs to be reworked. Absolutely. Yeah, the negative part that I see is from an older part of the community or that kind of flows over to new parents sometimes is this thought of the just right away thinking the limits of my child. So I think a lot of times people say, let me let me show you what someone with Down syndrome can do because you, you want your child, like any child, to be able to do whatever they want, to be happy, to live their life to the fullest. And if you do tell any child that you can't do this, can't do that, you won't ever be able to do this, they won't. And it limits them and could limit their happiness. Absolutely. And I think my, my message definitely has to be balanced with that. If we can believe that Bertie is capable of doing something, then all of the early interventions, the support that we help, then I want all of that for him. If he's um, capable of being in the workplace to bring him some sort of financial independency to feel like uh he's like his peers that he's he's working then I want to give him I want to give him that and that's yeah definitely I have to challenge those ideas that people just um doesn't even cross their mind that somebody like Bertie could do do those things I would then hope that the next le- level of that is uh, that they still see him as having worth even if he's not capable of um, a career one I want to go back to the fact that what you said it, it is articulate and it's part of who you are that I'm, I so love because I think that is, I, I don't want there to be a mistake. I think that is at the, the goal. You're at my end goal. Like my end goal is to not have to talk about it. Like I don't, I don't want to have to talk about what Liam will do because I don't know what Liam will do. And even, even having an optimistic point of view of what, I believe Liam can do or will do, I may be put, I may still be putting limits on him because what I might view as, oh, well, he can do this. I, he will do this in, in defense of being told he won't. Maybe he's going to do more than that. Maybe he's going to do other than that. Maybe he's going to find a new way. I don't know. It is the unknown. And I've really started working on, instead of seeing the unknown as Oh, I don't know. Like you know, like uh, the unknown can sometimes hold like um, a fear or or bring a pessimism or a worry or a doubt. And I've been really working on having the unknown be full of possibility. Like I don't know, it's a blank page, and I'm totally with you on that. Is that reprogramming the unknown doesn't necessarily mean anxiety. The unknown could um, just mean possibility. 
and a journey that's going to be new and fresh and but that's like I'm not built necessarily built that way to be so optimistic all the time you know I think that unknown is it can be it can be a really scary place very scary my friends keep me grounded I think whenever I talk about parenting Bertie because a lot of the time they'll say to me which is really good might not want to hear it in the moment but they'll say but that's like parenting anybody, Mel. She's like, that's really, really good for me because all of those fears that I've ha- have of the unknown for Bertie about what his possibilities might or might not look like, that's the same for Day as well. It just carries kind of a different weight because Day's more likely to be able to do them. But I still have those fears. And when I talk to my friends who've got kids without Down syndrome, they have the same fears. And like, like I say, might not be what I want to hear at the moment, because in at that moment, I guess there's part of me that wants to, to be validated that I have a struggle sometimes, you know, you know, it's, it's harder for you, Mel, because <laughs> I can wear my like martyr cape, you know. Um, but I think it's also really grounding for me that just parenting is just it's just tough regardless. I'm always struggling to let people see that raising Liam has the same is the same as raising Sophia. I have the same worries and doubts and challenges that I had with Sophia. But the viewing of me from the outside is definitely I've gotten more looks of like, Oh, mom, oh, poor mom, or, you know, so I'm, it's it's so funny what we have to fight. And like I said, it'll be great when we can just don't have to fight and just be like, this is what I have. And you know what, on any particular day, no matter what, as a parent, that's going to feel more challenging. I feel like for us, a lot of it comes from the exterior. That's really what I get. I think it's lovely. I would, I would love to have people here going, but it's the same because I don't, I don't, we don't have that. Well, it's funny. There's things that I don't worry as much about when it comes to Liam as I do about Sophia. You know, I've talked about it before that I know when Liam looks himself in the mirror that he loves himself and he is confident that he has friends and he doesn't have anxiety about approaching people and saying, Hey, how you doing? I'm Liam. And, uh, that's not always the case for, for kids and for adults to like themselves in the, when they look in the mirror or to have a confidence about themselves. It doesn't cross my mind. When I'm thinking about Bertie and, and, and his future, I, I never think about self-esteem issues with him, but I do with Di. Uh, I, I think Bertie's going to just have that level of confidence naturally. That's just can see him through life and I I don't think that day is going to have it to that degree I think it's going to be something like me I'll have to teach him the tools for those things I'm going to have to work on them and um, whereas Bertie I just think he's just he's nails that already and he's only three and a half <laughs> it's so amazing I, I love the, I, but I feel like Liam as a teenager is starting to become aware of, you know, all those behaviors that people would um, be like, oh, that's so cute. And now that he's a teenager, we're having to have conversations of, you know, shifting that to where, you know, just being a teenager is awkward. And it's, okay, well, let's ask now before we give hugs to still support him and making that transition as a teenager. I, 
I do see that his man, he did, you know, we did this short and his, um, he was so confident and so proud of his work and could go out and say, Hey, come with me. I want to show you this film I made. And I, I, to have Sophia, have that confidence at, especially in middle school would have, I mean, the, that's such a gift. Yeah. We were just at the grocery store. That's kind of right down the street from the school. And sometimes I park in that parking lot so that Liam and I can walk over to the grocery store and just kind of look around, have a 20, 30 minutes together of just going around a store. And and very often he has classmates in that store as well. And I just love watching him say, hey, that's someone from my school. And they look and go, hey, Liam. And they go, what are you going to look at? Well, I'm looking at some potato chips. Oh, I'll go with you. And they look around and they, they're walking with like their arms around each other and just being, you know, loving teenagers who just like hanging out, just hanging out. Like that was, that's like the coolest thing. And that does come from that he's now in an inclusive environment. Where, oh yeah, all those know, kids It's, it's are an just amazing like, environment yeah. that I just hope. But Melissa, what I wanted to, and I keep like almost finishing my sentence, like I keep forgetting where I was going, but I do want to say that when you're talking about having two children and one has that extra chromosome, it's just being a parent, like loving something so much and, and trying to uh, help them to become a good human and, and be happy in their life and create the life they want. It's that we do have another like little coding over our children with Down syndrome that there is just an unseen, it's an unseen challenge that comes from the way Down syndrome has been viewed and treated in the past. And I think that's where that weight comes from because like for me, it is a fear of when he goes into the world, is he going to go into an inclusive environment? Because the scholastic environment he just came from was a nightmare and his speech was not good his education was not enforced. They were preparing him to propagate a stereotype. And when he switched, he was educated. He was given his services. He was, uh, friendships were allowed to emerge and not friendships that come from go talk to the kid with Down syndrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you know? And yeah. and I think we could say that here. That's a very, that's really kind of. Gosh, that seems so archaic to me. Yeah. So archaic. I, I can't imagine that's going to be our experience. Like I will be so shocked if that's, our, if that's Bertie's experience, just from what, from what we've already been immersed. And Bertie goes to nursery, preschool. The nursery as a, as a whole, I can't speak highly enough about them but he has a one-to-one he goes for 15 hours and he has a one-to-one for the whole time he's there Matthew has become like the third parent (laughs) he's so incredible he didn't know any Makaton signing this Bertie communicates with with signing and and grunts (laughs) and Matthew has learned to sign Bertie's the only kid with Down syndrome there so he's with like your typically developing um, children. We went to see um, their Easter parade and the kids sang, sang some songs and they signed them all. So Bertie could be in, included. What he receives at this nursery is amazing. It's incredible. And I get very excited every day that he, he got, I can remember saying to my friends, He's not going to settle in, probably be going every day and staying with him for like six months because he's not settling in. (laughs) Bertie cries when I go to pick him up to bring him home. He doesn't want to come home. He doesn't want to come home. 
Uh, and it's a fantastic environment with him and his um, signing has really taken off. I can just see so much positive things about his development. The next school that he goes to will be the nursery that is attached to day schools, main, mainstream um, nursery. And they are so excited that Bertie's coming. He could have started in January, but Richard and I decided to just push it back till September because he's getting on so well at Bookworms and so well with Matthew's help. We just wanted to give that a bit longer and they were devastated at, at, the, at the school that they were going to have to wait <laughs> until September. They all know him. They're all very excited for him to, to start. The staff there are already um, wanting to learn Makaton to be able to communicate with him. <laughs> I've I've not got one one worry about Bertie in education, not at all. I'll be so so surprised. I'll be gobsmacked if our journey through school. I mean, I understand it might change when we when Bertie's eleven and he needs to go to high school, senior school. Mainstream school might not be the best place for him. A more specialised school might be the place for him. At the moment, I've got absolutely no idea. I just don't have to think that far ahead. But from now until he's 11, I feel really, really secure with how uh, with the education that he's going to receive. I, I mean, look, I might be the exception to the rule. That would be really sad, really sad if I am. But I just think it makes me just feel so grateful that I just don't have that worry. I don't, I'm not having to sit here and say, like what you've just said, I just thought that makes me really angry. I think also that since he'll have this experience until 11, that that's going to change his path. Like you don't have to even think about it when you get there. I think you'll see, I can't wait to see what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that is proof in the pudding that if, what if the journey was completely different? How does that influence the life? The, the chromosome has not changed at all. But what if we actually treated the life of a child with an extra chromosome with equality and, and upheld their education and did all that? I do, one, I want to make sure that we have the name of that school to bookworm. give them a bookworm. Is that it? He's at Bookworms now and he will go to Old Hill, Old Hill Primary. I, I mean, I feel really blessed because they're both great places, but the school, you know, Day already goes there and I feel like Day is just thriving being at that school anyway. I joined, I don't know whether you guys have a PTA, Parent Teacher Association, so I've joined the, um, the PTA because I just really want, I want to be involved in the way that both of the boys are going to be educated. I just think that's really, really important. So, and, and you know, I'm all for, for doing bits of service where I can. I think that's really good for me to give of myself. So I plan on being really, invo really involved with um, with both the boys at, at school. Um, but, but I've chosen to do that, not because I don't trust the school environment. I'm just excited. I'm excited about what they, you know, the lives that they're going to have there. Yeah, very, very excited. Well, joining the PTA can be great because then it gives you just a chance to kind of hear what's going on in the school ahead of time. And if there's something that you want to just remind everyone about, if it's about more inclusion or maybe including sign language in a song, like you said, then you have input. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've already booked 
21st of March next year <laughs> nice. for the school to celebrate it, you know, so even if it's just all the kids going into school with their rug socks on, I feel like that that will be a real triumph. And that's already in the school diary for next year. So I definitely, yeah, I, I just think I've put myself in a really good position for um, Bertie to be heard if there are any areas that he's not being. So yeah, yeah, really excited about that. What's the age difference with the boys? So how long will they be in school together? Day is um, seven. So they'll be at school for about three years together, something like that. Um, and Day is really, he's really excited about that as well. He was quite upset when um, I said I was going to leave Bertie at Bookworms until September. He wants he wants Bertie uh, at, at school. You know, they... Uh, they fight <laughs> they fight all the time but when we drop day off at school every day there's this big ritual that Bertie wants to go through day has to give him kisses and hugs and there's this very long prolonged goodbye and day's walking off into the classroom there's this like waving and blowing kisses that goes on for like 15 minutes and I can see everyone's going, oh, my brothers, they really love each other. And I think, mm-hmm, until we get in the car at home time. And then like... <laughs> but that's brothers. That's how it is. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Poor Sophie and Liam. I'm always like, stop fighting. No, oh, yeah, I just they're always, it. I'm you know. Like, I was like, I'm not a parent. I'm a referee. <laughs> right. You know, a hug becomes, you know, know a tackle right? and then a wrestle. That, I do. It does feel like a referee. You're wa- you're waiting for the time that the hug. Can I, can I have a hug? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure, we'll have a hug and then it, yeah. and you're waiting for the time all of a sudden the squeeze is a little harder or right. like what, it's like when I, are we pulling out the yellow card and then you know, right. that's our house help, <laughs> most definitely i wanted to ask you did you have to do anything special um go through and like how did you find this place and get on this path or was this just uh, the bookworms place yes yeah. and this the ease or, the ease of what your your path has been I, again, I don't think that this is just um, exclusive to me. I would say this is the whole of the UK. Legally, they have to um, accept children with disabilities into mainstream school. So there was no question. I, I think I think there must be a threshold where they just say like, it would just be much better for this child not to be educated here, which is like fair enough, right? Because you want I would want Bertie to go wherever it's best for him. But at that age there was nothing to say that mainstream nursery wouldn't be great for him. So I just, I chose the nursery that was closest to me for convenience uh, for day. And then because we still live in the same place when Bertie came, there was just no question that Bertie would go to that nursery and that school, particularly with with the nursery, because day had gone there and I'd gone through my pregnancy journey with being day going to that nursery, they were very much involved with my diagnosis, learning about Bertie, then my birth and Bertie's heart surgery. I mean, they were so accommodating with having day outside of the hours so I could get to and from the hospital. Um, they did fundraisers for us. And, and uh, one of the teachers there, she said to me, day is yours. But Bertie belongs to all of us, you know. <laughs> what more could you want as a parent? It's obviously who they are as people, but I think that's sort of the ethos that the nursery have. 
I feel like it's our extended family. Heidi, who owns the, the nursery, I just think that she's incredibly generous and that's how she runs her, her business, you know, and um, I feel like yeah, they're part of our extended family. And the same with the next school that he'll go to with Dai. It's just, it's our local school. There is probably three or four on our doorstep. And I chose that one for Dai. I thought that would be the 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 best school for him. Um, and I'm really happy with what I've seen with him. So I would want Bertie to go there as as well. Yeah. So there is no no massive um hoops that I needed to jump through to get this for Bertie. The only obstacle was Bertie needs one-to-one care. And originally when the nursery applied for the funding for that, because I don't I get this for free, you know. I mean, this is this is what we 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 get here. I get this for free. He gets 15 hours, and originally um he was awarded seven and a half hours funding, which was clearly not enough. He needs somebody with him all the time. And they appealed that and he was given the the 15, the 15 hours. And really, really noticed the difference in his development when he was able to have somebody with him all the time. But without that, he he tended to drift. Like he would happily play by himself, um, but that wasn't what the activity was at that given time in the nursery. The activity would be more of a, a group activity, and he would just lose interest or not understand what was required of him. And with the the 15 hours one-to-one care now, so he has the one-to-one the whole time that he's there, his ability to participate, um, to concentrate for longer, be engaged longer, has just really, really increased. I really noticed that at, at home as well with him in his in his development. So I've had it really, really easy. I, d- I don't know whether other people in the UK, their experiences like mine, but yeah no no big hoops to jump through I feel very lucky I think that's the thing is that you know over here it's the laws we have a right to an education an equal education and then the supports to access that education and you know a lot of times what happens to parents is they're told no need to educate your child they're not going to learn the same way and all of these things are told that cause us to not address the fact that there are places in the school and the job of the school is to support that child to access the curriculum. What are those supports? What what can they look like? Can you imagine saying that to a, a typically developing child that's saying, well, you know, your child is not going to be an A student. They're going to be an average C student. So they're just not going to learn the same. There's just no point in educating them. I mean, I think when you flip it around for things like that, people would be really horrified. Oh, yeah. But it just seems like a more acceptable that you can say that about a kid with a disability. I think where we saw it was in the pandemic, because when the pandemic hit, every parent was in the same boat, but they were in the boat that we had been in for years. And when I saw the way the parents of neurotypical children reacted to not having the supports to access the curriculum, and I saw how how outraged they were and the the fuss and they were yelling at teachers and the principal, but the district responded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. the path that we had been on the entire time. How how is he supposed to access this this homework if he doesn't know how to do it? And and hearing hearing how 
irate these other parents got really validated my point of view. Like it really made me, I haven't, people have made me think that it's inappropriate or wrong. Yeah, you have no right. You have no, you have, you're getting a little bit. So you just shut up now and go back over there. Yeah. Be happy. Yeah. 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 Be grateful. Be grateful. That actually one time I had someone leave a note and say, you should be thankful that your teacher left this for you. And I was like, <laughs> Can I legally punch you in the throat now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Laura, you had mentioned, you know, basically what the law is in the States, you know, that uh, the U.S. and U.K. have similar laws that, hey, your school needs to educate every child in its area. And one little blip that can come from federally funded things uh, is that the money goes to the school and then the school decides how to distribute that money in the United States. And I think more where you were coming from, Melissa, is that you were, you were like, well, let's apply or just say this is what we need. And then you're, you're maybe talking more sh- straight to the, to the government, to the, the UK itself. And you're almost on the same side as the school. Like you're both approaching it from that instead of I'm now going to the school saying, hey, some of this money you've been given – uh, can you pay for this? And sometimes certain schools, so you, you get something a little different from everywhere you go. Some schools will be reluctant to do things and some... Yeah. There will be a day when a school or a district or a lot of schools get caught for embezzlement because that's exactly what they're doing Here. by taking yeah. funds to support and educate children with disabilities. They're taking the funds and they're not using them to support and educate children with disabilities. And it, it is only a matter of time where a parent or a lawyer with a lot of time on their hand approaches it. Because we've been in many IEPs and our lawyer will say, you realize this is embezzlement. You're taking the money and you're not- Distributing distrib- it out. But also, I don't know how it works there, but an IEP here, it'll say, okay, uh, 30 minutes, five times a week of resource support. 20 minutes, two times a week of occupational therapy. So it's written down. They get the money for that. Liam, in fact, did not, had years, one year they were in a deficit of in excess of 3,000 hours of non-implemented service. Remember it was a couple of weeks where we're like, oh, oh, he's not doing rec therapy right now? Our, oh, our, oh yeah, um, that person quit. We're trying to find someone else. So they're still getting the money for it. Yeah, they're, they're get, getting the money, the money for it. Yeah. I, I asked the resource teacher because he was. they were trying to pull him off curriculum in first grade after he had been held back because they had been found guilty of discrimination. So the next year I said, can you tell me how you implement the math? Tell me what supports you use so I could do it at home. And he was like, I don't know. I don't do it. His assistant does, which is against the law. So it's only a matter of time, I think, here to not like open that can of worms that someone finally has to pay pay the price for just behavior that is that is wrong and illegal. Like it's all illegal the way that... What we found is that, you know, hey, the law can be there, but yes. now we're struggling to have that law implemented. Yeah, because uh, because it needs to be monitored and they just don't have the people there to monitor. And I, I say, because I have... Facebook groups right you know with other parents and so I do see some horror stories uh, where their child has missed out so it definitely it definitely happens where they've really had to fight for um for funding that's thankfully not something that we have experienced maybe we will maybe we won't um but I'm always grateful to these parents that have tread those you know that path before us because they tend to have the solution as well of 
um, how to get around it. So I also find that my, you know, my parents' um, support groups are, are so valuable for the for things like that. Yeah, because uh, but hopefully, hopefully that just won't be that won't be our experience. There is a, just above me here. There is um, like, you know, a special school for children with disability. So if we could walk there, you know, it's right, right on our doorstep. So we've got choice of this. There's um, two local high schools and this school that's for when Bertie's 11 to see what's going to be um, best for him. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, just things can change, can't they? Between now and when he's 11, so, so much can change in society. So I just I feel like I'll cross that bridge when we when we come to it. Yeah. But I, it's always good to know what the pitfalls could be and to be vigilant for them. And and you're right. You don't know what will happen. For instance, when we were at this other school, we didn't know what was around the corner. We were fearing middle school. And then this beautiful school, the citizens of the world that he goes to. Um, I mean, it had been around. <laughs> we wish we would have put him there during uh, elementary school. I would have liked to have it, Sophia there. I would, Yeah, it's to have Sophia there because it's, I mean, the, to hear the children who graduate there because it, it is inclusive, completely 100% on all levels, inclusivity. And just to hear the children that graduate like elementary school or, you know, just to speak uh, what they talk about it's just so inspiring and to see Liam even after being in this inappropriate environment for so long just how when he was put into the right environment the inclusive environment where people do want to educate him I just how he flourished and it's just, it's been amazing he has friends he had a birthday party yeah it's amazing it's it really is you know you said about um, the birthday party so, like Bertie's, as you know, he's an ambassador for Wouldn't Change a Thing. Uh, we love them so much, so grateful for Wouldn't Change a Thing. And I know one of the mums had posted this was some time ago um, about how excited her son with Down syndrome had got about being invited to one of the birthday parties, and that that didn't happen. And I was like, really like you know are we are we still there are we are we still there the kids with down syndrome don't get invited to things and that um was really really upsetting and now I think um I just think like where Bertie's at now and where he will be at Old Hill I think that that would definitely be what they will promote is I just I think Bertie's will be first on the list to be invited to these um, things because they do things like they do um, after school clubs, after school discos. And Bertie will be he will participate in those things. And I think that's not it's only a short leap then, isn't it, to having a birthday party and, and having him there. So, I yeah, I, I think like the school is set up for that type of inclusivity and also Matthew Bertie's one-to-one he's set I think he's set such a high standard now of the care that Bertie can have I'll spot if he's getting less than that and I'm not going to accept anything less than what Matthew can can give him because we've really noticed how much Bertie's come on at home having that type of care just with the amount of signs now that Bertie's got he's probably got well over a hundred signs now. I mean, he completely communicates with his, with his hands 
And that is down to Matthew being repetitive uh, with him. So, uh, yeah, there's just like there's a standard now that I just know I'm not going to accept anything less than that. Well, speaking of wouldn't change a thing and to forget about the fact that Bertie and your experience with Bertie was broadcast throughout the UK, like very early. Can you touch upon how being so entrenched in the Down syndrome community and support system has guided you? I I think our lives would be um, a lot more challenging without that type of support. I think it's, you know, it's the it's the same as being a recovering addict to find um, that sort of unity and connection. I mix with other uh, recovering addicts. I, I think that relatability is just really, really important. And um, I get that, you know, with the with our community here. We've also got our local ups and downs support group, which has been really instrumental because it's local. We wouldn't change a thing is online. They're all over the country, uh, around the world. So getting together, um, I think we've got together with them maybe twice um, since Bertie's been born. Whereas our local Down syndrome group is great. They we. We all got together at Easter and uh, they do discos and stuff. And I just I think it's just really, really important to be able to be with people who really, really understand what you go through. I don't think a non-addict can understand what it's like to get clean and stay clean. Like We can all empathize, but to um, truly, truly relate and know, uh, I think that's just so important to be with, uh, you know, kind of like minded people. And it's the information that's been such a big thing, uh, that information highway, what we should be receiving, how to get it, the standard that we should have. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get that anywhere else. I'm, I'm, I think the government tries its best to inform you of everything. But, you know, I, can, I could only expect my health visitor and my midwives to... They're not going to know um, to the to the depth of what another parent will know. So that and that's been the biggest thing I would say, just that sort of um, information gathering and support. Yeah, and great, great fun. I mean, it's a great it's a great community to be a part of, isn't it? You know, I mean, I find that people are very in the, the circles that I mix. People are a lot more open minded, a lot more compassionate. Um, and a lot more caring, you know. So uh, that can can only be a good thing for the for the boys. And I also, um, I think maybe we're surrounded in a bit of a bubble because we are surrounded with either <laughs> recovering addicts. I know people who are not not in in those circles would think that was quite strange for me to say that how blessed I feel that we're surrounded <laughs> by like my friends are all recovering addicts, but that that's my truth. And families that who have got a member with Down syndrome, we we in this bubble where people are um, kind, thoughtful, loving, and 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 aware of what they can say can really hurt. You know, they're not judgmental. You know, this really really beautiful um, setting. And then I just recently sort of went on um, TikTok. And I put in Down syndrome because I'd like to follow some positive uh, accounts, you know. And so the first thing that um, popped up was just like really, really horrible, you know, just like really, really horrible. And I just haven't, I thought like I was just, I was just shocked because I, that's not 
part of our world and I just thought man maybe I've been a bit naive of how accepted Bertie is because there are still some really cruel people out there you know and uh, so I'm quite happy to keep sticking in uh, (laughs) in these circles because I just don't see that um, cruelty my boys aren't subjected to any any cruelty whatsoever everything is um inclusive and love and care even like you know we were just really lucky to go on holiday in February as a family and Bertie just took over the place I mean he came he saw he conquered you know he um was just loved by everybody just being himself he didn't particularly do anything he was he was just himself and so I can totally believe like the whole world is like that um but this on TikTok showed me uh you know the whole world um isn't like that and that makes me feel really those are the only moments when I feel really scared like really really scared well I'm one for bubbles yeah we've had a bubble since Sophia was born our family and and that bubble emanates love and an acceptance of everyone. Uh, I don't think everybody in the world has evolved to that and their pain or whatever causes them to only um, feel validation by hurting another person. And they're the ones who are naive uh, to think that they have any kind of power or that they're any better than anyone else. I believe in the evolution of humanity I believe that people grow. And like I said, this is the beginning. It's only been a few years where we're starting to have more positive uh, voices out there that are changing the narrative that, you know, because for the most part, you know, especially when you're talking about kids who, whose uh, expressive language has a delay sometimes that really don't have a voice. Right. And sometimes people can think that if they talk louder and send their message that they're going to change the reality. But it's only time. Um, I hate that there's bad people in the world. I hate that there is cruelty in the world. It's the same fear I have raising my daughter is I have to have those conversations of, you know what, especially in high school, you know, I'm like, be a good person, be kind try to find something good about whoever is bothering you. Try to see that. Try to see that they're a human. It doesn't mean that they have to come into your circle, but just you're not going to change anything by being annoyed and hating this person that's so full of hurt because that's where it comes from. Yeah, hurt people hurt people. It can be scary. It's why when, you know, um, Liam says he wants to have a party and invite his friends, I check with the teacher and go, tell me the truth. Are these real friends? Or, you know, because I I know that can exist. And and I am hopeful for that change. I I wanted to ask you, because uh, it's a part of who you are, your 12-step journey. And this is something that that occurred to me. And if you're okay talking about it, what what occurred to me is, um, you know, when Stephen and I were going through that fight that was so, I mean, it was just exhausting and physically draining. And so, you know, like you were saying, you look on the message boards and parents are still fighting it. And you think, gosh, I was in there. I was fighting. I was filing, you know, reports. I was making complaints. I was hiring lawyers. And then you see these people who are still having these like horrible, horrible experiences. When we were able to step out of it and change schools, 
it wasn't until then that we saw the physical and emotional toll it had taken on us. And the one thing that I immediately, immediately acknowledged was we would leave an IEP and say, I need to have a drink. And at the end of uh, the school experience, when Liam was being denied his civil right to an education blatantly and very like, it's just what you got to deal with. You couldn't do that nowadays to very many. I can't think you could do it to any group without it being on the news, but they were doing it. They were, they were denying a civil right and they didn't care. They did it in a matter that was, that's just what we're going to do, which is it puts you in this place of helplessness and powerlessness. How can you do something that is so wrong? It's wrong. It's wrong. It's not even wrong. It's unlawful and you don't care and you get away with it. And you know, we're not the only ones. And we would go and have drinks. And that was just what we did. And what happened was when we, we stepped out of that experience where we were no longer, cause, cause then you have to participate in life. You have to participate in the school. You have to show up with a nice face on. You have to, for some reason, I don't think you have to. No, you got to carry on. You have yeah, to carry you, on. I mean, you have to carry on, but I don't, I don't know. Like I'm challenged right now to say, why don't we turn the tables over? Why don't we go into the school and people go, Hey, how are you at the PTA meetings? Go, you know, I'm a little mad because my child's not receiving his civil right to an education. And I get that you're worried about the carnival, but I'm worried about the fact that my child isn't receiving speech. So he can't go up to the booth to ask for his tickets for the carnival. Like, I don't know, like, because people get mad at you when you do that. They get, they get really mad at you when you offer up a, a plate of reality. But what I acknowledged was Stephen and I have not had a glass of wine or, and not because like, it just like, we didn't even... It wasn't like we are not doing that now that we're done. Like all of a sudden. You didn't need to. We didn't need to. And if I want to be perfectly honest, we were self-medicating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we had to make that shift to existing when these terrible things were being done and said about our child and this horrific fight we were having to participate in. And I wanted to talk to you about that because I feel like there's something about the fact that you don't self-medicate and you're present every day in this journey and that beautiful light that I see that comes from you, that attitude and um, clarity. Uh, and I just, I don't know what this part of the conversation is about, but I wanted to talk to you about it because maybe part of our community has to find other ways to deal with this stress that's put upon them. And if you're open to talking a little bit about. I'm 15 years um, clean, sober now. So, yeah, self-medicating and having a, a drink to de-stress, unwind is not a go-to tool that I can use anymore. Um, I'd end up nicking your TV if I did. So, I mean, there are other ways that I can distract myself. TV. You know, that can be um, uh, food, can be a distraction. But because I have that disease of addiction, I have the tendency that I can't, if I use that as my 
go to South Soothe tool, I'll take it to the nth degree and it will become an issue. Um, so I tend to use my my tools for dealing with the anxiety. Because let's just say the anxiety about being a parent, right? My biggest thing that I use for self-care is my friends in recovery. Like I go to meetings, part of a, a 12-step fellowship. I go to meetings and where I talk about I get if, if I want to share then I get the opportunity to speak about what's going on for me and nobody can interrupt me. That's really powerful to just be given that space to just talk because I find that a lot of the times I don't really know how I am until I start talking. And I have a sponsor who's you know a mentor and I check in with her every single Monday and it might not necessarily be um, on the phone. She lives in Wales, so she's not on my on my doorstep. But I send her a voice note, and every Monday, it's in my diary to give her a message, and I tell her how I am and, and um, what's going on. And then I have a WhatsApp group, maybe like fifty of us, all females, um, on the group. We're all in recovery, and that is my. Uh, one of my go-tos of of um, talking about how you know how I, how how I feel, what's going on. If I'm feeling anxious, if I'm feeling scared, and if I'm wanting to binge, overeat, to self-soothe with food, then I know that I need to be doing something something different. And I also, when the boys are not at school big part of my self-care routine is to exercise it's very difficult to go to the to the gym when the boys you know are on holiday um so yeah that's just like eating as healthy as I can and exercise some of the big things that I can do to manage the stress of being a parent and being a parent to somebody like like Bertie but what has really developed over the years is my closeness and Richard Bertie's dad we've always been great friends and we've just really really built on that so he's what I experienced with Bertie he's experiencing it as well so we really lean we lean on each other um and he's he's always been a really really good friend and we've always been able to talk I mean now now we're we're actually we're in a relationship now so that's really really nice for the boys and that's all going going really well so he's something that he's the person that experiences pretty much what I experienced with Bertie and so yeah we we talk about that and I find that that's really works for me a lot talking you know I mean it's just like talking talking about how I feel and having like the right people around me that don't minimize what I'm going through because it can be quite minimizing when like Bertie's big thing that he he's quite destructive at the moment like if, if you met him face to face within a few minutes the, the first thing you would notice is how happy he is what how funny he is how charismatic he is and loving he is the next thing would be gosh isn't he hyperactive <laughs> you know, so, and he he's quite destructive he throws everything all the time and it's um you know sometimes they're missiles that we have to dodge like this and I think it's a phase um but it's been going on for like a very long time now and I think it's here for another another few years but I don't see him being 15 and and lobbing things at us 
but it really can get me down. It can really, really get me down. And so I can say to um, friends, Bertie's just throwing everything. He's throwing everything. What doesn't help is when somebody says to me, oh, yeah, all children throw things because that's like quite minimising what I'm going through. But I know what they're doing is they just want to normalise it for me. They want to relate. They want to say, I understand what you're going through. But um, at, at that moment, what I really need is, yeah, I can see why that would drive you insane. I'm like, how do you cope with that, Mal? Or let me just give you a big hug, you know. So I have r- friends who are really talented at normalising stuff for me, but not minimising it. And it's really hard to quantify doing that. It's all about empathy, isn't it? You know, I mean, like they just show me lots of um, empathy without brushing off my experience and so that's what I'm really lucky at I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are really really talented at doing that and that's how I manage my challenges with with birthing. I feel like that ability that you just spoke of and I hope we've I hope that I always allow you to finish your and I don't minimize anything that you say (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I tend to be the person who wants people to feel better um (laughs) What I hear, though, is just being able to express and talk about what your journey is. And I think really that was what was missing from Stephen and I's experience of elementary school. I mean, we did have a a small group and one good friend in particular that I could talk to. I feel like we were always trying to make each other strong because we were in the same boat. Do you know what I mean? Like putting lipstick on a pig, like making the situation bearable, do you know? (laughs) And that inability to have a voice, to not only have our child's voice be attempted to be silenced, but then as parents to have our voice consistently silenced by the institution. I don't know if we ever had a place to just talk about how like dehumanizing it was to us as parents, like literally taking our power from us. The one thing as parents that we want to do is protect and support our child. And all of a sudden there's this entity that's saying, it's just not going to happen. And the fact that you know that that entity is standing in, in the wrong and that you're in the right by law. And it really took a toll on us and we were not able to, or we didn't think, because actually when we did at the very end, start to speak up in meetings, people did not want to hear it, but that isn't the reason to not tell your story. And it was that once we changed schools and we were still, we didn't go in going, okay, it's behind us. We went in with some issues. (laughs) Like we went in with some huge trust issues that now we can talk to our team and acknowledge and laugh about. Like, thank you. You were supportive. You let us be there because the ebb and flow of the experience that once we stepped out, it was still crashing on us. You've been traumatized, right? Yeah. I mean, you've been traumatized. Absolutely. You don't shake that stuff up overnight. It's impossible to. I want parents to hear that. Like, I can't see you right now because you're just hearing our voice, but to be seen and acknowledge the fact that this fight, it's not about our child and it's not about the chromosome. It's not about their ability or who they'll become. The fight for an education or equality in the world, it is, it's traumatizing. 
and the strength that we must muster and then the guilt that we feel if we don't have the strength. And the two of us can support each other as much as we can. But then we're both going through the same thing. You know? I think it got so hard that we like, we'd be like little teapots and it would just be like, I have to say this. And then the other one would, would minimize it just so they could exist in it. I mean, I just remember the amount of letters I had to write daily. Do you know how much time? And I get anxiety about wasting time and how much time and, and my life was spent on it. And then to have nothing change, right? Nothing except us. We changed and then we changed schools. And that felt like a failure. We felt like failures. When we left the school? Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, because we had this idea that we were going to change the school. Liam was going to go on that stage at graduation and everybody was going to be like, wow, yeah, this is, and it, we left and it's, you know, hasn't changed. The school is still the same. And I'm really glad that you've changed your perspective of what winning is because you've definitely won, haven't you? You've definitely won because your child is flourishing and, and, he's, and he's happy. No, you're absolutely, it was us changing our perspective because we still get, I still, I just spoke to a parent who's at that school on Friday. And it was the same story. And I could hear the pain in her voice. And it made me so sad because, and the words that she was using and the struggle she was going through and everything was still in full tilt bozo. They were still doing their damage or trying to. There's nothing worse as, as a parent as feeling powerless over protecting your child. And that's that's what they did to you. They made you feel powerless, like you didn't have the ability to be able to protect him and to shape his future. And that's just an awful thing for a parent to have to feel like you can't keep your child safe. And so that just that what they did to you is going to stick to you. It will take a while to get over that. Yeah, you're right. And I and I just I think about the other parents out there. And I think about us when we were going through it. Obviously, this is if we knew then. I, I wanted to hear because you're present in any of the challenges. And, and what I heard was if I would have had that voice wherever, just had that freedom to actually speak about what I was going through. Because even here, um, I want to encourage and inspire, and I don't ever mean to minimize anyone's struggle, but being on the other side of it or going, once we go through it, like once we go through it and we have a lawyer at our IEP, I want to share with you the tools to hopefully minimize the struggle. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of sitting there and crying in front of these people who really don't care, lay down the law of this is the law. These are the words to say, and this is your job. Your job is to educate my child. And your job is to prove that my child doesn't deserve an education. Your job, if you can't educate my child, is to then find somebody who will. Not, that's not my job. And that's what I want parents to know because I feel like the blood, sweat, and tears we gave, I mean, from the time Liam was three, if I could lift that from one person. And, and what I got from you is that we still do need to see it. And we still have a voice, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a really big part of, of healing is for people to see and acknowledge our struggle and our pain. And, and then I can feel validated by that. I think that's like really, really, really powerful. After Bertie's surgery, his heart surgery, I had some 
therapy after that and that was one of the biggest things the biggest healing that I got from that experience was she just really saw she saw my struggle and she validated me she helped me to really see like how strong I'd been and how capable I'd been and I just needed an outside person to kind of to help me see that you know and I mean she's trying to do that but to be able to see and have this like what you guys went through there's a huge part of me going, man, I hope I never have to go through that. But I would hope that your healing, that through your pain and through your suffering, you are helping me should I have that hurdle because you've done the footwork and you're giving me the tools that I can maybe miss a lot of those stages. I don't need to go through those stages because you're making your pain and your suffering work for other people. And I really hope that you guys can feel some healing in that of what you're giving to the rest of us because it's really important what you're giving to the rest of us but I you know it doesn't mean that those that pain that you've gone through how you've just been like discarded and made to feel worthless not going to go it's not going to go overnight but through your pain and your suffering you you are helping the rest of us that are not yet there yet I love you (laughs) <laughs> I have to tell you too, when you mentioned Richard, I, I know it's Facebook and, you know, we always see photos of everyone that is like, these are the the best photos you're possibly going to take and happiest <laughs> moments. But to see the four of you together, it really is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because when we first met you, Richard, I don't believe was as involved as he is now. And yeah. what a great journey you've had. And even the last time we talked to you, Richard and you were basically more just, you know, really close friends, staying very close friends. And Richard's very involved with the boys. But I, I really got a smile on my face when you when you said that you guys are together and I see your photos of you guys together. It's just, it's great. For me, <laughs> still getting my head around it. You know, I don't, <laughs> I've just been so used to calling him like Bertie's dad. Mm-hmm. He's Richard Bertie's dad. To now calling him, I don't know what boyfriend partner. I mean, I just find that still it just makes me laugh. But you've been partners the whole way. You know, you've been together. You know. Yeah, Richard first met Bertie when he was ten weeks old, and so he missed uh, a whole. Uh, well he'd missed my pregnancy you know pretty much and he'd missed those weeks when Bertie was in NICU which was really really intense um but when um he met Bertie when he was 10 and a half 11 weeks old Bertie was then coming up to his heart surgery and from that point Richard really hasn't been separated from him we've had distance of uh Richard living near London and traveling up weekends to to be with us all uh, and then I think he just sort of realised at the beginning of the year, end of last year, that, that he wanted more. So I said, all right, we'll give that a go. And I think we probably would have always have headed in that direction because I do think we've got a very deep love for each other. I don't think, I know we have, we do, you know. And, and I just, for two people to get on that well, it kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> And he's he's very good looking. <laughs> yeah, he's handsome. <laughs> he's like really hot. <laughs> and how's your mum? Oh, she's great. She, my mum is amazing. She's she's really she's really really amazing. We we took her on holiday with us, um, and so she'd. Uh, 
<laughs> we just waited on her hand and foot, and it was it was great. Yeah, she's she's eighty five, you know, and she's so sprightly. But she, my mom is such a huge, huge part of of our lives, of my life, and and the boy's life. You know, she's uh, she's just amazing. She's amazing. I'm I'm very 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 close to to my mom. Yeah. Well, I'm always so happy. I I don't want to wait a year to talk to you again. <laughs> and first, I want to say I see you. Thank you. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate you telling your story and sharing your story. I feel so honored to be able to witness it. And I thank you for that because I do think it changes the narrative. Right at the foundation, you're changing the narrative. And you are moving forward and making that change for the people who come behind as well. Thank you. And, and you guys, you know, I mean, you know, what you guys are doing for our community is like unparalleled. You know, I just you work really, really hard at this and, and and we notice it. And thank you. And there'll be things that I will will be able to thank you for specifically in the future, should I come across them, because you guys will have done that already for us. So what you do is really, really amazing, really powerful. And so thank you from well, well, when Bertie can talk, because he will eventually, I'll get him to say it himself. Or he can sign it. Tell him yeah, he said, he you're welcome. <laughs> I look forward to just watching and being a part of your story as it unfolds. And I just have so much hope. And I love watching Bertie's story because I do believe that his is the story of change and possibility when all those other misperceptions and misconceptions and archaic thinking are no longer present. That's the possibility. And it's the possibility for every life. For some reason, this is put on this community, but it is the possibility. And just having that knowledge, like any human, given the supports and the love that they need, have a life full of potential. And we don't have to guess what that potential is. We can just watch it unfold. Yeah, and, and Bertie's the future, and it's uh, it's a beautiful future. It's so future. amazing. I love it. He definitely is. I mean, there is something very special and unique about him, where the lives that he um, touches, even people that he's never met, you know, just people on social media. He He's already, just three and a half, he's already doing great things for the human race. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifwenewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Mm-hmm.